All right. We are um, going to be in John chapter 6 again today. So you guys, if you got your Bibles with you, you're welcome to turn there now. I just want to start by proclaiming something for you, I guess. I'm just going to say it, and I guess it's really going to be the statement that the rest of this message is built around. Everything that this world has to offer, and I mean everything that this world has to offer, fades, fails, and it leaves us wanting. A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The The Pursuit of God, the man who has God as his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary for his happiness. Or if he must see them go, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source of all things, he has one, <clears throat> he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing, for now he has it all in one, and he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. His point is obviously this, that when we have been awakened to the gospel, when when the gospel truth has become truth to us, and we realize the worth of God, the things of this world dim in comparison. They become dim and are not as important. The temporary satisfaction that can be offered by this world begins to be less meaningful to us. And today we're going to step back, as I told you, into the book of John chapter 6 and we're we're backing up a chapter instead of moving forward uh, last week we were in John chapter 7 and let me tell you why because two weeks ago as we began to look at this chapter I, I, I gave you facts about this chapter I gave you information that, that this, this chapter alludes to what I didn't do and I failed to do was bring you face to face with the gospel message that's clearly presented here and while I think those things were important at least for me to hear The thing that I need to be doing for you guys every week is bringing to you the gospel. It's more important for me to to teach you every week the gospel than for me to teach you theology or um, how I need to lead as a pastor. And the reason I say that is because the theology will come, and there's a time for lessons like that. But the thing that needs to be done here in this moment, in this time together, as we look to the Word, is that we need to see Jesus. And we need to see Him and our dependence on Him. Because it's as we begin to see that and understand that and put ourselves at His feet, that He truly will begin to transform us and make us His and and make us new. Not that those other things aren't important. But this is of primary importance. And so I'm going to ask you to to turn back in John chapter 6. We won't go through the whole passage like we did last time. We're going to look at a specific set of verses. And it's going to be verses 25 through 35. But let me set this up for you just so you can remember the context. Because outside of the context, this chapter would really make, not, not, not really make a lot of sense. 
Jesus has fed 5,000 men plus the women and children. He has done this amazing miracle. Uh, he then walked on water and crossed uh, the, the sea and went to another place. And, and, and in fact, it was Capernaum. And as he went there, people began to follow, looking for him. And while he was there, they found him. And they're, like, they're surprised that, they, that he's there. And they wonder how he got there. But he doesn't begin to respond to them in the way that they thought he would. He teaches them a very serious lesson. And that's where we come into the story. In verse 25, we'll read through 35. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not label for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the, <clears throat> for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. This is it. Listen. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus begins to, to deal with these people and, and, and point to them how fallen their view is and what, what, how, how they're finding temporary satisfaction in things of the world. As they come to him, they, they, they present to him their ideas about who he is and what he's supposed to be doing and how they would expect him to respond, but he won't let them continue in this fallen perspective. He confronts them and begins to explain to them that there's something so much deeper. He says, you follow me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill. In their minds, as they watched this powerful event, as he took two fish and five loaves and began to break them and he fed thousands and thousands of people with, with such a small amount of food in their mind. They were not seeing the power of God. They were seeing something that was selfishly centered. They were seeing something that fed them and they wanted more of that. They wanted it, it to be all about them. But Jesus was saying, you didn't even see the sign. You didn't see beyond what you wanted to see. You didn't see beyond your selfishness. They didn't recognize it. For what it really was. But they saw it as an opportunity to have more of their temporary desires, their temporary the, the satisfaction fulfilled. One more way to feed into what they believed was true and what they saw about themselves. One more way truly to feed their little idols, to feed their little gods. You see, they were living with this thought that if somehow they could just get back to the glory of Israel, the glory days of Israel, they'd have it made. If they could just have it like their ancestors did whenever they were walking and following Moses in the desert, they couldn't recognize what was in front of them because they were too busy looking at what was behind them. 
I don't want to tell you to forget your past or forget your history. But don't come so, so deeply dependent upon what happened ten years ago that you can't see what's happening today. That you can't see the power of God at work in this moment. They had forgotten, or, or I'm sorry, they hadn't forgotten. They, they, were, they were too busy remembering. Yesterday, Amy and I watched this movie. It's not necessarily a movie that we would typically watch. Um, we're not documentary people. Um, I don't think we want to be that smart. Um, but we watched the documentary. It was on, a, on the story of a man who strung a tightrope between the Twin Towers in New York City and crossed it. His name was Philippe Petit. <clears throat> Pretty interesting story, really, how it all came about. And it tells the story of, of the progression of this man's life to this point and how there was a crossing of the... Uh, he had strung a tightrope between the towers of Notre Dame, and then again he strung a tightrope between the towers of the Sydney Harbor Bridge, and he had crossed on these two different places. And... <clears throat> He, he did that all in progression, and he comes to New York City, and he sees the Twin Towers, and he has this dream. I've got to string a, a tightrope between those two towers, and I've got to cross it. Now, what makes that inner, you know, I don't know. What, what even brings that to mind? It's just who he was, I guess. But, but he does it, and he tells the story of how they had to hide in the, in the upper floor, you know, and, and hide from guards under tarps, and it was a pretty cool story about how it all happened. And it comes to the point he strings the tightrope 200 feet across, and, and uh, despite whatever was going to happen that day, he was going to climb out on that tightrope and cross. And for 45 minutes, he stood out on the tightrope at the top of the World Trade Center, and he performed. He laid down. He knelt. He, he uh, played with the policemen that had gotten on top of the buildings, and, and they would come close to the tightrope, and, and he would run back into the middle, and, and he just played with them, and he had fun. And people stood on the ground, and this is the story that was told by people that were, that were with him and part of this. People stood on the ground and were in awe. In fact, when he came off, it was, it was amazing the response he had. What was interesting, most interesting to me, was that as they wound down the story and as the documentary begins to come to a close, and the, the questions that the interviewers are asking begin to change from what it was like to prepare and experience the moment to what's it been like after. It became very obvious that this is the moment that defined these people. Even today, this happened in 1974. Even today, the movie was made in 2008. Even today, they look back and they think about how this made them who they are. And all of their life, you know, even Philippe Petit, who did make some other crossings, not nearly as big a spectacle, not, not nearly as, as uh, special, but even the man who became famous because of it has that one moment that he always looks back to and finds his identity in. Well, that's really what's happening with these Israelites. That's, that's what's beginning to happen with this, with this people is, is that they are basing their, their views and their identities on a fading memory. Something that really for them that they had never even experienced. 
Philippe Petit and his crew had stood on the, stood on the tops of those world trade towers and, and, and experienced this moment and had, had defined themselves by it and found their identity in it. But now all it is is a fading memory that they hang on to and cling to to find purpose and meaning for their life. The Israelites, these people had heard the stories and only knew of the stories and they hung on to this moment for their whole identity and for who they were and all that they wanted in life. And Jesus is calling them to something much more. He's challenging them because as they continue to look backwards, they're missing what's happening in the moment. They were looking to their ancestry to find their identity. They were looking to their history for their salvation. They were looking to themselves and their nation for their hope and their future. Jesus' challenge to them was to look to something different than they would have ever imagined. He challenged them to quit looking to their past, to look to the here and now. He says to them, I am the bread of life. Your view of, the, of salvation, your view of what makes you acceptable, it's all wrong. This thing that you look for, for life and purpose and meaning, it's wrong. You're putting your hope in the wrong thing. You're missing it. I am the bread of life. Now, this metaphor wouldn't make much sense if it hadn't happened in its context. If it, if it hadn't happened as these people had just finished eating uh, uh their fill of bread and fish, and, and, and just happened as they spoke about manna from heaven. But it makes so much sense as, as they look to that point in history and, and to their ancestry for their salvation and their righteousness. They look to what happened with Moses and they hang on to it and they cling to it. And he says, no, I am the bread of life. I am what is going to make you worthy. I am what's going to make you righteous and whole. The I am, I, obviously, by most theologians' estimations, gives reference back to the time when God spoke to Moses and said to him, as Moses wanted to know who, the, who he would say was sending him to the Israelites, God said, I am. But I think especially right now, especially in this moment as Jesus spoke to them, it wasn't just some reference back. It's some reference to bring attention to himself. To to demonstrate to them in their fallen view of, of what their good news was, how badly they were missing it. I am the bread of life, he says. You're hoping in Moses. It's just a type and a shadow. You're looking for manna. It just typified who I am. I am the bread of life. And, and as we begin to see that, we begin to see that the gospel message doesn't center simply on this story that was told thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. It depends and centers completely around the risen Christ. It always has and it always will. He is the bread of life. It's easy to sit here today and look at the Israelites and say, oh, they missed it. It's easy to sit here and think, I'm glad I'm I'm not them. But we, we, we chase after fading and temporary satisfactions every day. You know, no matter how often we eat, 
we have to eventually eat again. No, no matter how often we drink, we, we eventually get thirsty again. No matter how often we think that we can fill our checking account, we must continually try to fill, strive to fill it. No matter who the person is that we think will make us happy, he or she will eventually let us down. No matter what the opportunity seems, the business opportunity or the, or the, the school opportunity or, or, or whatever opportunity it seems to be, on the front side that looks so great, on the back side, it's not going to give us all we want, no matter what it is that this world can entice us with. It will leave us wanting. It will fade. And it will fail. But as we recognize Christ as the bread of life, as we recognize Jesus as that central component of the gospel, He gives us a great promise. My message, I will never fail you. See, my gospel, my message, I bring complete satisfaction. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He brings with him complete satisfaction. It's not like our Springfield Chinese food that you eat and then 20 minutes later you wish you had some more. He brings complete satisfaction. Life without food, uh, uh, another part of this metaphor, life without food would be life like life without Jesus. Life without food, it, it leads to malnourishment, disease. Eventually, it leads to death. Four to six weeks, I think, is what most people estimate that you can live without anything to eat, and maybe some of us a little longer. But if people are hungry, if people get hungry enough, let me say this correctly, if people get hungry enough, they'll eat anything. Some of the foods that people eat in countries where famines are going on would make us squirm. And we've seen them eat some of those. If you ever watched Fear Factor or some of those other reality shows, I mean, they eat some pretty nasty stuff. Where do, you get, where do they get the ideas for that? From countries who are, people are starving and they'll eat anything. Some of the nastiest stuff I've ever seen eaten is on those shows. Some of the nastiest stuff I've seen prepared to eat is in China. And they seem to have plenty of food. But in a time when communism was coming in and, and taking control, the Chinese people were starved. And they began to eat anything. The night markets, on my trips to China, the night markets always proved to be interesting. You'd find dog feet. You'd find, find uh, just all kinds of crazy stuff. One of my favorites to look at, and I don't know why this is true, but one of my favorites to look at was a flat rat. And what it was is they had deferred these rats. They had taken the fur off of these rats. They looked like they'd squashed them flat with like a mallet or something and then they cooked them and it looked really like a piece of leather but the tail was i mean the whole rat was there i'm telling you the, the, the head the eyeballs the feet were sticking straight out and then the tail and so it looked like a, a rat lollipop and you could pick the thing up by its tail and sit and gnaw on it. it was like rat jerky maybe is what they call it. i don't know but it was disgusting and i saw people eat it like it was the best thing in the world I think I'd rather have one of our big, fat, colorful lollipops. But thats they were eating it like it was nothing. People get hungry and they'll eat anything. That's just the reality of it. On top of that, when people get hungry, they begin to do things that they wouldn't normally do. 
You've, you've heard about the story, and, and the, I think there's a movie made about it called Alive, I think, where the plane crashes in Alaska, and they eat people that died in the plane crash. Why? Because they got hungry, and they did things they wouldn't normally do. When a, when a father gets, gets hungry and sees his children starving, oftentimes he'll move to crime because he wants to provide for his family, because he wants to eat. And it seems kind of noble in a twisted sense, but the reality is when we get hungry, we want to eat. Do you realize that that's what we do with Jesus every day that we live? We're hungry. And we need something to eat. And Jesus says, I am that. I am the bread of life. There's nothing that brings satisfaction like me. I bring with me complete satisfaction. I am the bread of life. We try so hard. To fill our lives with things because we're hungry. A life without food is a lot like a life without Jesus. And we look at this and and, and we look at the the truth of of the gospel and we look at what Jesus Christ has done we look at his word we look at we look at the work and we think how do i make it relevant because if it weren't you die it's relevant because it's life it's what gives us breath i had this conversation just the other day i met i met somebody at uh panera and i'm sitting having this conversation and this guy says Man, I I just want to figure out a way to make it relevant. It's relevant because it's it's what tells us the truth. It's relevant because without it we'd be dead. It's just like food. Eventually, you don't have it, you're going to die. You'll shrivel up and die. Imagine those children on those commercials that, that, you know, they play and they make you feel so bad for them. And I'm not trying to make light of this. I mean, I think you should feel bad for them. They're starving. But a life without Jesus looks just like that. A life without Jesus looks like that kid with the ribs showing and the tummy all swelled out and the flies landing on him. That's a life without Jesus. Can you picture that? That's your life without Jesus. That's every life without Jesus. We try so hard. Let's make it relevant. Let's figure out a way to squeeze this truth into our life. Let's figure out a a way to make it make sense in my life. I think Jesus is telling us no. Don't try and figure out how to make your life, make it make sense inside your life. Figure out a way to make your life make sense underneath it. Surrounded by it, soaked in it. Your life makes sense when you're connected to Jesus, not because I figured it out, but because Jesus is the bread of life. He is the source. He's relevant because of who He is. I'm just going to tell you, I I, want to be honest. I've always told you guys I want to be repentant in front of you. I want to speak to you openly about things that are going on in my life. Because I want to exemplify for you what we, I, I believe we should be as believers and what should happen within this family that, that we call a church. I'm dealing with some of this right now. Part of why I'm back in this chapter today is because I'm dealing with some of this right now. As I look at what we've done and, and what, what, where, where we've started and where we're at, 
We've got plenty of external trappings here. We've got all the image. But somewhere along the way, I'm afraid we might have lost sight of the gospel. And so I stand here today and tell you as the pastor, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Because just because we have a regular meeting on Sunday morning or what used to be Sunday evening, just because we have a, a, a guy leading in songs of worship, just, be, just, just because we, we, we talk about going out and reaching people, we still need the gospel. And it's my responsibility to bring you face to face with the cross every week and help you see your dependence and His grace and His mercy. I'm sorry. Also, as, as, as we've done this, I have been challenged. I've got a coach who, who confronts me all the time about the little idols that I have in my life and how I seek security and, and status and, and how I seek um, uh, 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 Approval from things other than my Christ, my, my Lord. And just this weekend, Amy and I had to have a conversation. We know that one of the things that's hindering us and, our, and, and me specifically and my leadership is the time that I spend at a job. What's the one thing that keeps us at the job, keeps me at the job, I ask? We've only got one thing that we really have debt with, and that's our house. It's not huge. It's not a massive amount of, uh, it's not a huge payment every month necessarily. But if I were to take a part-time job, it would be very difficult. I don't know that we could pay the payment. And so we've come to this place where we realize we may need to let that go. And we may need to sell that house and move into an apartment. Man, how do you have two boys in an apartment? I I don't know. But I know that there's one thing that brings satisfaction, and it's not that house. I I think I've told most of you the story. The one time in my life that I felt freer than any other and known without a doubt that I was where I needed to be, and there's been more times than this, but probably the first time, was the day I walked out of worldwide aircraft, the the place where I work today, and I was on my way to my first short-term mission trip, and my boss told me, if you go, don't come back. And I said, I'm going, because this is what God's called me to do. That day and that time that I spent in that place was one of the largest times of growth in my entire Christian life because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I was totally dependent on my Lord. There was nothing else. And that's the place we need to find ourselves. We spend too much time chasing after things that fade and leave us wanting. Only Jesus has the power and the authority to say, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not be hungry. And he who believes in me will never thirst again. Only Jesus has that right. Only Jesus has that power. Only Jesus has that authority.
to make a promise of a gospel that completely satisfies and is everlasting. You think about it. He's saying that you will never be thirsty again. Never be thirsty again. Paul wrote on this more than once in Romans 1 and in 1 Corinthians 1. He tells us that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. What we so often miss in our materialistic world, in, in this, this world that we live in, is that the gospel produces something more than a person that simply looks back on their life and begins to, begins to say, well, I'm a believer because I prayed this prayer. I'm a believer because I got dunked in the water. I'm a believer because of what was going on then. I'm a believer because I recognize the power of God here and now, today, in this moment. Don't forget the history But depend on the present. What is Jesus doing today? How are you looking to Him in this moment? How are you depending on Him for life at this very second? What is He speaking through His Holy Spirit into your life right now? This new creation is not going to be dependent upon a prayer said at one time. We'll recognize God's work right now. This, this new creation will find their life and strength in feeding on a constant diet of truth and gospel. This new creation will find its satisfaction less and less in things of this world and more in their connection to Christ. As Jesus stood against the temptations of the devil, he's 40 days in the wilderness. He's not eaten for one. The very first thing Satan says to him is, hey, you can turn that stone into bread. You remember his response? Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. This, for the believer, is food. And without it, you will be sick and you will be unhealthy and, and you will do things and strive for things that are empty and will leave you wanting. Without the gospel, we are dead. And I've come to this place in my life, and I pray that you're at this place in your life, that I don't want to be hungry anymore. I don't want to be hungry I want satisfaction, and I recognize that I can't find it here. I can't find it in how many people sit in these chairs. I can't find it in in what the music sounds like as I stand out there. I can't find it in worldwide aircraft. I can't find it in where I live or what car I drive. And as much as I love my wife, And as much as she serves me and and builds me up and satisfies me, this satisfaction only comes from the Lord. And I do love my wife. I don't want to be hungry. And I want to call you to this place where you recognize that you don't need to hunger anymore. We don't have to be hungry. Because he's come and he's told us, I am the bread of life. And when you come to me, you will not hunger. And when you believe in me, you will never thirst. 
I'm not saying, and don't hear me saying, that all the things of this world can never give you pleasure again. But what I'm telling you is this, is that in Christ, in Christ, your, your pleasure and your happiness will not be tied to them. That through Christ and in Christ, you will find your deepest sense of joy as you live life in this world. In Christ, you will find your deepest level of satisfaction as you abide in this world and in Him to thrive in spite of our circumstances. We must first surrender and give up all our little gods and recognize that there's only one, only one, that has the power that has the authority to call us to Him and tell us that I'm the bread of life. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and I want you to spend some time just recognizing in your life. What is it in your life, specifically, that you are clinging to, that you're holding on to, that you're seeking satisfaction from, that you're, that you're looking for, for pleasure from, that you're thinking is going to fulfill you in some way? And you need to be very honest with yourself right now. It may be something as noble as your family. Is that bad? Only if you've brought them to a level that they don't belong. It, it, it may be somebody that you're in a relationship with. It may be the job that you have. It may be some circumstance that you're looking forward to. But you need to deal with that. And Jackson is going to sing a song, a couple of songs. And I don't know how you'll need to respond. <laughs>